Hi everybody, happy Wicked Wednesday and welcome to Shivers. Happy Valentine's Day to all you lovebirds out there. For me, there's always been something so innately interesting about the idea of love gone wrong. It's why we see it in movies such as Fatal Attraction and Gone Girl. This theme brings out the dark side of romance, which of course is what we're talking about today. There are many movies that dive into the depths of fears around romance. Romance turned violence, romance turned obsession, and the blindness that romance can cause to even those with the most common sense. It's somewhat of a human mystery, romance, and really makes you question what people will do for love, or even just for lust. There's a perfect example of this type of movie, which is Obsessed, which came out in 2009. This revolves around Derek Charles, who just received a big promotion at work, has a wonderful marriage with his beautiful wife, Sharon. However, in this idyllic world, steps Lisa, a temporary worker at Derek's office. Lisa flirts with Derek innocently, and as he refuses to go any further than that, she begins to stalk him, jeopardizing everything that he holds dear. Elise suffers from erotomania, a form of delusional disorder in which an individual believes that another person, usually of higher status, is in love with them. <clears throat> another movie that really stands out on this point, but is more along the lines of horror, is Hellraiser. This came out in 1987, the original one. Sexual deviant Frank inadvertently opens a portal to hell when he tinkers with a box he bought while abroad. The act unleashes gruesome beings called the Cenobites, who tear Frank's body apart. When Frank's brother and his wife Julia move into Frank's old house, they accidentally bring what is left of Frank back to life. Frank then convinces Julia, his one-time lover, to lure men back to his house so he can use their blood to reconstruct himself. Pinhead, or the Hell Priest as he's called, kills hundreds of the world's most powerful magicians and steals their magic and knowledge. He gains enough magical knowledge that he's able to massacre not only his fellow Cenobites, but also some of the most powerful beings in all of Hell. Clive Barker, the director and creator of Hellraiser, was fascinated with the BDSM culture and S&M clothing and clubs in the late 70s and 80s in New York City. Hellraiser, the story of a man driven to seek the ultimate sensual desire, has a much more twisted sense of sexuality. Pinhead was only in it for eight minutes, but he quickly became apparent that people liked him. And I got a good reaction from the SNM crowd, and I still do. I was validating a lifestyle. It was a celebration of the beauty of these things that are strange, secret, and usually unusual, Clyde Barker says. He himself is gay and has used this movie to celebrate his sexuality. Not only is the film calling card to the community, but to himself as well. Stemming off of that point, one of the things I really want to talk about today is the BDSM community as a whole. I myself find it incredibly fascinating, just the history of it, where it has come from, all of the pieces that really make it what it is. I have wrote a book, if you have heard of it, it's called Burn Her Down, and it really revolves around the BDSM world, but from a female's perspective. A lot of times people believe that male partners will bring in females or people who are weaker minded into these types of communities to hurt them or anything like that. And that's just not the case. So some call BDSM a community, but otherwise it's really just its own genre. 
<clears throat> it's an umbrella term used to describe a sexual practice that involves the use of physical control, psychological power, or pain. It typically includes the components of bondage and discipline, which is the BD, dominance and submission, or sadism and masochism, which is the S&M part. Just think of that Rihanna song, S&M, to get a visual. BDSM is commonly mistaken as being all about pain, and its behaviors have been analyzed as far back as the early 1900s. Sigmund Freed studied those in the BDSM community and was confounded by the complexity and counterintuitiveness of practitioners doing things that are self-destructive and painful. Rather than pain, BDSM practitioners are primarily concerned with power, humiliation, and pleasure. Dominance and submission of power are entirely different experience and are not always psychologically associated with physical pain. Many BDSM activities involve no pain or humiliation at all, just the exchange of power and control. In 1994, Dr. Combs studied two women that were in the community, one open about it and one suppressing the urges to join, believing that she had these urges shamefully. After conducting experiments with these two women, Dr. Combs found that being a part of the BDSM community and allowing for free reign of experiences was more helpful than remaining close to it entirely. He also found that there is no correlation between childhood or early life abuse and a desire to partake in BDSM. He found the same thing as Freud. BDSM community members want to be in control and in charge and very simply want to make their own rules. Practices of BDSM survive from some of the oldest textual records in the world, associated with rituals from the goddess Ina, or Ishtar in Akkadian. Some of those texts dedicated to Inanna, which incorporated domination rituals in particular, points to ancient writings such as her and the goddess where she is dominating Eba, a, a local townsperson. Um, there's another one in this text that translates loosely to partaking in a situation imbued with pain and ecstasy, bringing about initiation and domination. There are also talks of journeys of altered states of consciousness, punishment, moaning, ecstasy, lament, and song, participants exhausting themselves in weeping and grief. During the ninth century, Ritual flagellations were performed in Artemis Orthia, one of the most important religious areas of ancient Sparta, where the cult of Orthia, a pre-Olympic religion, was practiced. Here, ritual flagellation called diagmastosis took place, in which young adolescent men were whipped in a ceremony overseen by a priestess. These are referred to by a number of authors, including the Ponesians. One of the oldest graphical proofs of sadomasochistic activities is found in the Etrusian tomb of whipping near Tarquinia, which dates to the 5th century BC. Inside the tomb, there is a drawing which portrays two men who flagellate a woman with a cane and a hand during an erotic situation. This goes on and on. Needless to say, there are a number of ancient, ancient, 4th, 5th, 6th century drawings, texts, writings, that all really show us that BDSM has been around for as long as we know. People basically getting off to being hit or using whips to assert power and control and showing that in a, a true communal setting.
The Kama Sutra of India is really what brought this to more mainstream and describes four different types of hitting during lovemaking. The allowed regions of the human body to target and different kinds of joyful cries of pain practiced by bottoms or submissives. The collection of historical texts related to sensuous experiences explicitly emphasizes that impact play, biting and pinching during sexual activities should only be performed consensually since only women consider such behavior to be joyful. From this perspective, the Kama Sutra can be considered one of the first written resources dealing with this type of activity and safety rules. There are um, also different types of slavish courtly love in the 14th century writings that show that some people were calling their partners slaves and doing whatever they wanted to them, which is also more of a mainstream tie. The fundamental principles of the exercise of BDSM require that it be performed within the informed consent of all parties. Consent, consent, consent is all of what it's about. Since the 1980s, many practitioners and organizations have adopted the motto originally uh, from a gay activist group called SSC, which is safe, sane, and consensual. Basically just means that everything is safe, everything is consensual, and all participants are on the same page. Mutual consent makes a clear legal and ethical distinction between BDSM and such crimes as sexual assault and domestic violence. For their consent, they must have relevant information, the extent to which the scene will go, potential risks, etc., if a safe word will be used. Uh, and this is all to be on hand at the time of play, quote unquote. In the 1980s, BDSM clubs started opening up, usually in the style of speakeasies, underground, at night, in secret. Each BDSM club had rules, usually calling for participants to wear a mask or follow a dress code, usually wearing latex, latex leather, black or red only, and bringing their own partner. Rules would be stated at the door, such as staying with your partner in your own area, not touching other attendees or their items, etc. Many events were open to the public, but also had rules addressing alcohol consumption, recreational drugs, cell phones, and photography. Each club would have a dungeon master who would basically oversee the evening to make sure all the rules are followed. Some of these clubs would host play parties, which are events in the, which BDSM practitioners and other similarly interested people meet in order to communicate, share experiences and knowledge, and to play in an erotic atmosphere. At these parties, BDSM can be publicly performed on a stage or more privately in separate dungeons, which is why it's called a dungeon master. A reason for the relatively fast spread of this kind of event is the opportunity to use a wide range of playing equipment, which in most apartments or houses is unavailable. These include slings, St. Andrew's crosses, different types of restraining con constructs, Spanking benches and punishing supports or cages are often made available. The problem of noise disturbance is also lessened at these events, while in most home settings, many BDSM activities can be limited by this factor. In addition, such parties offer both exhibitionists and voyeurs, which are people who just like to watch, a forum to indulge their inclinations without social criticism. Sexual intercourse is usually not permitted with most public BDSM play spaces and not often seen in others because it is not the emphasis of this type of play. 
you're not signing up for an orgy, you're signing up for more of an experience. In order to ensure the maximum safety and comfort of the participants, certain standards of behavior have evolved. These include aspects of courtesy, privacy, respect, and safe words. Today, BDSM parties are taking place in most of the largest cities in the Western world. In 2005, there was a study done with 1,000 people in Canada, and half of these people were interested in, 500 of these people were interested in the BDSM community. So that just goes to show that there are more people out there that are interested than it may seem. These types of things are not as taboo as they used to be, and it's something for everybody. There's no limit on who can be interested in these things. It's not bad for you. It is, in my opinion, something that can help you get rid of some of these desires, get rid of some of the pent-up aggression and energy in a safe way, in a consensual environment. And so that is kind of the epitome of dark romance, especially if you're doing this with an actual romantic partner. So that concludes our list today. Thank you for listening to Wicked Wednesday. No, this was a different one, but let me know your thoughts. Let me know your opinions. And as always, check out our meetup page for more upcoming events. All of the events can pretty much be done virtually. So if you do not live in North Carolina, you are still welcome to attend. Thanks for listening.